0: All right, well, welcome back to the From Many People's Strength podcast. It's a delayed start to the window, so it's a delayed uh, res- re- resumption of the From Many People's Strength podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Nugubauer, joined by my co-host, uh, Matt Gourley. Gourley, how are you doing, bud?
1: I'm doing well. It's been, uh, it's been an eventful couple of weeks, but uh, it's, it's match day finally, fingers crossed, so uh, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, it is match day. It is exciting. And it's a pretty special opponent for one Alfonso Davies, and we'll get into that uh in a minute. But uh first of all, I feel like people have said everything really that needs to be said about the dispute over the the pay and and whatnot. I think that's been covered extremely well, but I feel like it would be remiss to not Ask you, Gurley, if there's anything that you had uh, in mind to say or or wanted to get off your chest uh, about everything that went down, including the cancellations of two games at one on one day. <laughs> on one day, uh, Iran obviously was was gonna happen. Was was a while back, and then um, the day of Panama, we didn't know if Panama would play Canada or not in Vancouver, and and everything that went down. But is there
1: anything that you want to get off your chest? I mean, not particularly. I mean, I, I certainly um, understand the players want to um, take this opportunity, a rare opportunity that they've had to um, achieve some things that they felt they've been trying to achieve for a long time. And as the players like to say, leave a legacy. Um, you know, it, it would have made sense to me for this to be taken care of before qualifying. And so listen to Craig Forrest. That's not uncommon where they would say, okay, well, what are we doing? Bonuses for qualifying for the World Cup. And basically it was like, well, we'll deal with that if we get there, which is, you know, not exactly a ringing endorsement of your federation's faith that you're gonna actually qualify. Um, but yeah, it, it it feels like a certain issue shouldn't been left last minute. The CSA may um disagree with that uh perception of how things went, but Um, you know, I feel like this could have been taken care of much earlier and I don't know wants to jinx anything, but I mean, if we're being honest, uh, if I were um, at Canada soccer, I would have been ramping up things in terms of planning and organizing and dealing with some of these things in terms of bonuses and contract, you know, in January, because you sort of prepare for success and it feels like it's coming. So um, that being said, you know, I understand. However, um, this is four straight matches in BC that have been canceled, which is just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to get your head around that, but obviously there was the two matches. I believe they were supposed to both be as Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which was I think March of 2020, basically just right at the start of COVID and, and, you know, logically, you know, the campus canceled. Those front of these were canceled, but then to have the Iran debacle plus, um, plus obviously the, the, Labor issues with with Panama. I mean, it's it, it's rough. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of goodwill that's been built up with this group, but I think a lot of people really feel strong affinity for this group. I mean, beyond people like you and I, who um you know we've been drinking the Kool Aid for decades, we're we're pretty much all in. But um you know, this is this is be tough for some people. There's you know, seeing pictures of kids who showed up in in kits and signs, and you know they're standing outside of BC Place. I'm sure some of them traveled a pretty good distance, maybe by ferry. You know, that's tough. It's it's I just feel bad for the supporters, particularly those who traveled, particularly, you know, the kids. It's uh, it's just a shame all around. And it was really kind of, you know, it's just it's just really unfortunate and kind of depressing all, all around but trying to move on and hopefully we could the, the group group kind of rebuild some of that goodwill and and you know we'll get a match tonight and and watch some watch watch a match and that'll hopefully uh start the process of getting us excited about the world Cup again
0: yeah so I have three things I want to say and then I want to move on so the first thing I want to say is that certainly uh I don't like when fans get punished for things. Uh, And certainly the great fans and folks in BC and people travel far away to arrive to hear about it. And, you know, Atiba in his interview said, you know, we felt we had to do it this way. And, you know, I have been there. I'm sure Gurley, you've been there when you're dealing with, you know, business types at the top and um, you're trying to communicate and everything. And it's frustrating and it's hard and you feel like you don't have a voice like i totally get that side and but to take to take match a match away from the fans that really i don't know it didn't sit well um as a decision from the players but again i'm not sitting in judgment i'm not I'll, i'm not you know they're i'm not they're uh their lawyer or their, or their judge or whatever in the jury or whatever. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I did not like that. So I'll say that. Uh, I think I'm, you know, it's really, really sad for the fans there. Uh, you know, anytime, you know, you and I have been longtime national supporters and anytime you can watch the boys play, even when they were not good, it was so special. Um, and it's still special because it just doesn't happen that often. So to take things, something away. I think was kind of a morally wrong thing to do by the players. So there you go. We move on from that. The second thing, uh, the you know the most Danish Spaniard in the world, Thomas Christensen, the manager for Panama, had a big bit of a chuckle and was like, uh, "Yeah, I don't know. We traveled really far for a, a training session. That's pretty funny." So he was he was uh, bemused, I heard, and and uh, you know there you go. Saying it was great that Panama was willing to come you know rally their guys from wherever i'm sure there was was a pretty domestic panamanian side and whatever that would have played but you still need to rally it and get things together and organize flights and etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh so good for them uh, for um yeah for being willing to come to canada and then not play a game which i think was I'm sure it's something that they'll never, never forget, and will tell their grandchildren in Panama City or wherever uh, down the road. We were supposed to play Canada at one time, so you know it's something that I've certainly not really seen. Uh, and then the third thing that I'll say before we move on is that it's, uh, you know, it's it's difficult for um, this, you know, for people to to understand. I guess the feeling for the players to you know to to feel like they need to get a hold of these you know power brokers these people at the top um when you know they said you know there were lots of people on vacation and it wasn't seemed like it was something that was taken too seriously and Earl and Nick Bontis in their press conference when the game was supposed to be going on were kind of all over the place when they were asked you know when did these negotiations actually start and they were like, it started before the window. Then it started during the window. Actually, after. Actually, we got that emotion. I don't know. We were on top of it. That was a terrible press conference, to be honest. And thank God it didn't completely blow everything up because it might have been other situations. But it was a terrible press conference. But anyways, there you go. So those are the okay. those are the three things that I guess I want to um, say quickly there. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, you know. I, I felt badly for, for the supporters and, you know, it was like, do the players really have to go this far? Then you watch the press conference and I think you start to think, okay, maybe they did need to do something a little bit extreme to um, get some respect and attention. It, it felt like it, it validated um, the player's extreme choice a little bit more. Um, that's just my opinion. Other uh, people can draw their conclusions, obviously. Uh uh I assume most people watch the press conference and take not what they will. Obviously we don't know what's going on behind closed doors and we hope obviously for a quick resolution that is equitable for um the players and certainly both the men's and women's programs, which I think is really important moving forward. But um yeah, that's to be determined and let's move on.
0: Absolutely. Well well said well said. You gotta you gotta pay these guys. You like you just got you just gotta I mean, yes, we want to grow the game in our country, no question. But in this moment, you know, unfortunately, they come from Bayern Munich. You know, they come from Lille. They come from, you know, wherever MLS now, too. And they expect a certain type of treatment. And, you know, they've sacrificed and they've worked and clearly played with their hearts for this country and for all of us. So... You know, hard to hard to argue that they don't deserve it, even though it is, you know, a ton of things that they were asking for. But that's negotiation. You start big and you and you compromise, and that's the way it goes. All right, we move on to Canada and Curaçao in Vancouver. And before we get to the opponent, let's talk about this Canadian team. And obviously the one guy that, you know, uh, Gourley, was, I was fired up to see just picked, and I sent him a message right away, is our buddy, friend of the show, Raheem Edwards. In the squad, uh, just talk about his years so far in the MLS, what you think he's done to, you know, earn hopefully minutes at, at least a spot.
1: He's been excellent. And uh, I mean, for for a, a brief minute there, and it, it wasn't like it was match day one. I think it was three or four matches in the season. He was leading MLS in assists. Um, and that comes when he makes a move to be more of a fullback. But, what he's shown with the Galaxy is really that that ability to make that final pass, that really nice, incisive ball. And it helps when, you know, that incisive ball finds a photo Chicharito, who who certainly can bury a chance. But um, when you're looking at, I mean, the tricky thing with thinking with the squad is you look at, you know, there's all these young attacking options, whether it's Miller or Corbiano. Um, you know, Brim, obviously, Ukbo's there, Koleosho, sorry, is, is in the mix. So there's all these guys that kind of look like options off the bench. Um, but to, to bring them in, you're going to have to drop, a, you know, a, a Davies, a Buchanan. I mean, we won't drop Davies probably, but, you know, David, Laren. like, who do you sub out to have that impact? And who do you bring in that's going to be an improvement on that? And having that sort of final ball in tight spaces, the way, you know, you see an do it, or, you know, Hoylet, some of those guys that have that quality, um, certainly something that uh, Richie Larea does. You know, that's something that you get out of Raheem Edwards that I don't think you necessarily get from some of the other names that we mentioned just a minute ago, um, some of the younger guys. So his ability to play that final ball, he provides a little bit more cover, uh, both as a left back, but also certainly as a left winger. Um, you know, I think he makes a pretty good case to be here. The question is, will he get many minutes in these two matches? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I don't know which match it'll be, but I would love to see, you know, Davies get a, a good 60 minute workout, whatever, you know, that's pretty standard. And then see Raheem get a half hour, um, and playing with some good players. I, you know, it'd be nice if he got to play with either a Laren or a David or both, um, you know, and, and, and play with Eustachio and see how he combines with some real high quality players. Because I think when you put him out there with, with real quality, his quality uh, shines even more.
0: No, you, you make a great point. And, you know, you, one of the things that people wonder about this team, there's lots of athletes and guys that love to get in behind and, and receive the ball in, in their feet and, um, and you know, and make the play. How many guys want to be the one that you know that makes that that hockey pass to start with? And there's a stackio, obviously, or the 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 hockey assist they call it, or the second assist, uh, you know, to spray that ball. And and especially with no Jonathan Osorio in the mix with his injury situation with TFC, you know, that's a big hole in terms of who might get on the ball. And you know, yeah, I think John Herdman had a plan to see what. Luca Kolosheo or Kalliosho, sorry me, and, uh, and Edwards kind of look like out there against Panama and be a little bit more experimental maybe against Panama. And that was taken away as we've talked about. So, yeah, it'll be interesting whether he tries to fit some of that experimentation into these games. Um, he's been pretty consistent about selection um, when when certain guys are, are in the mix. So the versatility of Raheem to, you know, to he, he certainly can't be... One of the back three, but I think there's enough for him to, you know, be anything in the midfield. Um, so that's you know that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good thing. Obviously, he's not going to be like a number ten, but this team isn't really big on having a number ten anyway, so it's not really a, uh, not really a problem. But he can come in the middle. He can make that pass, and I think that's huge, especially when teams sit a little bit deeper. And obviously, we we miss Junior Hoylet, for example, when he's not in there. He's there now, but. Um, I think that's the problem. If there's no junior, um, you know, or no Oso, especially when when we play low block teams that will let us have the ball, um, then that becomes a bit of a problem. So I think Raheem can fill that void to some degree. So it should be very interesting. And you know, obviously uh no ozo is, is tough for TFC. It's also tough for Canada. He's such a glue in the middle. Um, was there anybody else that maybe didn't didn't get called in that you were you know, maybe interested or hoping to see or or thought maybe should have been called it.
1: A little bit. I'm. It's interesting that, obviously, with some injuries, you know, there's no Kone, there's no Frazier. Um, so it's a little bit thin in the center of the, the park. And this really, to me, is the experimental window. If you're going to try something a little bit outside of the box, this was the time to do it. So, um, you know, some of these young guys are coming back from an injury, whether it's Akinola or Ralph Prizzo, um, you know, I wasn't sure if they would get a look here. Um, McNaughton's had a pretty good start of the season. He's had some moments that I've been a little bit questionable on, but generally held up okay in a position of need. And you say the same thing about Joel Waterman. So I was curious if Waterman or McNaughton might get called in. Obviously they didn't, so um that's a little bit unfortunate. I I was surprised that Derek Cornelius didn't get called in, to be honest. I think Cornelius is playing quite well in Greece. Um but that being said, I don't think there's a big mystery about how Cornelius plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's he's he knows what Kerman wants. I think you know, if depending, you know, the question is whether it's 23 or 26 in the squad. Um, I think most people are expecting 26 by the sounds of things. I really don't know. It's tough to, to know till they announce something. You know, I think if it's 26, maybe Cornelius has a bit of a shot of, of cracking it. Uh, but right now I think this shows clearly that Kennedy and, uh, you know, um, Daniel Henry are slightly ahead of him, in the pecking order. Uh, I, you know, obviously was surprised to see Kulio show there. Uh, it's a real shame. We aren't going to get to see him having seen a little bit of uh, some highlights of him um, with uh, Espanol. Uh, whew, that kid is quick, mm-hmm. which I mean, just what this side needs is more world-class speed, but it's exciting to, to think about. So um, I think, you know, losing that, match to experiment a little bit is um, is hard. But for me, I would like to see um, I would like to see Raheem Edwards get, you know, at least half an hour, if not a little bit more. And I, I really would like to see E.K. Edbo get a good run out, whether that's even a half or something at some point and preferably with, I think him, you know, having David play off of, of Bo was an interesting idea. I'd like to see him get a real run out, but um if it's at um, and I'm comfortable with that being ex- at the expense of, say, a, a Cavallini or, you know, Edwards' minutes coming at the expense of a Junior Hoylet. Um it'd be great to get those guys minutes. But I think that you know we we know what those guys do, we know who they are, we've seen you know they've been around for quite a while. Um, I would like to see a couple of guys, those two in particular, get a little bit more time. Even if that means that someone like Cavallini doesn't even play in this window, because I think. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, uh, the number one priority is getting the best 11. Certainly, you know, a half together, both matches. Um, we don't have a lot of time to try and get uh, all of our best players together on the same page. So that's priority one for me. But, you know, secondary priority is to look at some of these guys that are kind of on the bubble. And for me, Edwards and uh, and Ugbo uh, are two guys that I would like to see more of. I'd love to see a little bit of Brim if there's time, but I'm not I'm not as I guess for me, Ugo's had a brim, so I'd like to see Ugo get more time, and he hasn't really had that chance yet. He's had some real late cameos, so I'd like to see Ugo uh, get a real nice run out and see what he can do with some some of our, our first choice players.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that battle on the back line, and I think it's also a situation where Herdman looks at the opponent and says, "Are we going to have the ball?" and Scott Kennedy. Is somebody who's more comfortable with the ball than a Derek Cornelius, so I think that's you know an element too for Kennedy over Cornelius maybe in this window. Whether uh, you know whether it's Kamal or Scott Kennedy on the left of that back three, and we'll see. Or maybe both at different times, but I think Canada again expects to have a decent amount of the ball in both of these games coming up. And we'll talk about the Honduras game at another podcast, but definitely in this Curacao game, nothing to take away from Curacao. And we'll talk about them in a second. They're really good, but. Um, I think, you know, in BC we should have the ball and if Kennedy's on the field, he can make a pass. Like that's part of the key there. And then I think, uh, you know, be, the interesting thing to watch is for for Kyle Laren, for Jonathan David, um, you know, those guys are playing for Canada, but they're playing for themselves in big ways right now too, because the transfer window is about to open and they both want to move and are moving. So uh, you know Kyle Laren linked to Nottingham Forest which would be interesting to see him with uh with uh with with uh, Richie there in in Forest and and Jonathan David linked to everybody so um but those guys should be demons i think they'll work extremely hard and and you know i think there's no question that Ugbo to me uh you know based on merit is ahead of Cavallini but one thing that i asked John Molinaro, actually for a sort of um you know, open mailbag question, I guess, was whether Ugbo had passed Cavallini in Herdman's mind in his mind. And uh we know that Herdman is so loyal and and uh you know dance with the girl that brought you kind of thing his attitude there but um man Ugbo's five goals in twelve games in the in Liga right now and, and Cavallini continues to you know he has a game that's okay for Vancouver and then disappears for a bunch and Certainly, things are doing better for the Whitecaps, and maybe Cavallini looks a little bit better. But still, I think Ugbo, um, you know, deserves, based on his form in uh, in his league, there to to get some serious look and to see how he fits with people. And so, you know, between Laren, Cavall- Laren, and uh, David and Ugbo, there's three guys that just have a ton to prove right now, and and I think will come out, you know, with real fire in their eyes. So every minute for them is precious. Uh, but it should be, it should be very interesting. So we move forward to Curacao uh, and I'll let you get back to Canada. If you have a thought there in a minute, but uh, obviously, you know, Rangelo Yanga is always a handful up front plays in Cyprus. Um, You know, they play that four, two, three, one. A lot of people play with uh, Bakunia who's been around forever. It feels like, but he's still only 30 (laughs) behind, uh, behind Yanga and together. That's a pretty, uh, pretty dynamic combo. And, uh, you know, former Everton man Kuko Martina in the back. Should, you know, he's pretty steady as well. Still playing in the Eredivisie and very familiar name in Eloy Roominnet. So, what's what do you make of this Curacao team?
1: I did get to watch them play um, the home match against Honduras, and I thought they were the better side than Honduras. So they won. They lost one 0 but then they went down to San Pedro Sula in 1-2-1, and won two one and. You know, it was two one it was two nil with like you know a minute left or something it was a nice free kick goal from Marino Kyoto right at the death that made it a little bit less uh, less embarrassing for Honduras but uh, they're they're not a bad side and I think given that Honduras um, is missing some players um, you know don't have some of their motor potent attacking players don't have their more experienced defenders you know curacao might actually be the better side here uh, we'll see how Canada fares with both obviously playing curacao at home as opposed to going down to Honduras, uh, you know, you think that playing at home has got to be the easier test, and it probably should be. But uh, there's some good players in this South side, and they're all generally um, pretty technical. The player that kind of grabbed my eye was Bradley Kuas, who's uh, plays for Maccabi uh, Tel Aviv. He's a is a winger. He's uh, he was quite a handful. He played quite well. Um, you know, watching Curacao at home against Honduras, it was like watching a Canada match from 15 years ago it was, you know, chance after chance after chance in the box. It just went wasted. They look really good in the buildup. They were just struggling to finish. Um, Elson Hoy, who's been around for a long time, uh, you know, had some really good looks. He's a tricky little player. And, uh, you know, Yanga had some chances. Anthony Vanden Heerk, who came off the bench, he's kind of a big target guy. Uh, He missed some chances, but he did score a a goal in in San Pedro Sula. So um, they're a pretty good side. I think Canada will really test their their back line. And I suspect we'll find some, some space and some joy there. But... Uh, you know, it should hopefully be a good test for the back end for Canada as well. Uh, they have some good players coming forward, and if Canada really gets caught up in trying to uh, to go guns a-blazing with everyone plowing forward, uh, you know, it could be dangerous to the counter because uh, Curacao can be pretty lethal on the break.
0: Yeah, they can, and, I, you, you know, this might be a hard question to answer, so tell me, like, I don't know if I can answer that question if you want, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of press ahead of, you know, getting later into the earlier stages of World Cup qualifying when Canada had that showdown with Suriname, and that's another, you know, Dutch property with players that have lots of area divisier experience and and world experience. How do you, is there any way to kind of compare this Curacao matchup to Suriname?
1: I don't think so. I don't know. I, I This side, I mean, this Curacao side feels a little bit more consistent and they're more... Um, they're mm-hmm. more familiar with Concacaf. They've been around a little bit more. I thought the Suriname side was a little bit naive mm. to what qualifying was like, and and didn't know each other that well. I thought, you know, some of them it was their first or second caps, and and they hadn't really played. a... you know, they you know, what do you learn by? keeping the ball for 90% of the match against Aruba. I mean, they basically scored a couple early goals and sat around and made major. Sure no one got hurt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't really prepare you for a one-off elimination against a team like Canada. Um, and so I guess whereas this Curacao side, you know, they've, they've been around and they, uh, they know each other and not for nothing. I mean, it's, they should have beaten Panama. They had them. They, they look like they were comfortable even though they were trailing two to one, but they had the away goal and they just sort of felt like at home, they were going to get their goal and um, it just never came for them. And they came close to hit the bar late, which would have knocked Panama out of qualifying. Um, but I just thought they didn't have the right attitude there. And I thought some of that was down to coaching. They made that late coaching change. Um, and I I don't think that was necessarily the right choice. I I thought they were looking better before they made the coaching change. Um, and now obviously they have another new manager in place. so. But, I mean, don't forget that this Curacao side was very, very close to knocking Panama out of the World Cup and that two-legged tie in the playoffs. So um, certainly not, um, not a, a particularly poor side. The side, obviously, Canada should beat and should hopefully beat relatively comfortably. But, you know, I, I'm hoping it's a decent enough test and I'm hoping Canada can get some goals and, and look sharp. But um, if it's a struggle, there's certainly no reason to panic.
0: Yeah, and Curaçao hiring Art Langler, as you mentioned there, the um, former PSV Eindhoven Academy director, and obviously PSV known for exporting a lot of players, developing really well. So, um, you know, in a situation where it is development and uh, and developing a program like this Curaçao program to, uh, you know, really make a, a push to, you know, to to make some noise for the 2026 World Cup, um, you know, I think he he looks on the outside like a pretty good hire for Curacao too. So, um, you know, they, they look like they're heading in a good direction. And again, we've all seen the other room play really well at times. So he might be called upon in that there for Curacao, but it, uh, it definitely, definitely should be very interesting. Um, yeah. So I guess, what are you expecting for Canada in terms of, uh, you know, f- formation, starting 11, wherever
1: you want to go with that for, for tonight? For me, and I don't know if this is how Herdman's thinking probably isn't, but um, I would start. You know, I would start my starting eleven for Belgium um, in this match in my mm. formation. Um, I wouldn't announce that to anyone, but you know, I I suspect that's probably you know a four in the back, maybe a four four two or a four three. Know, I don't know. It depends, kind of. The, her, the formation has never really set too much in stone. There's a little bit of fluidity there. But um, for me, I feel like 10 of your starters for Canada are pretty locked in mm. um, as your best 11. Um, and then it's just kind of a question about whether you feel like Richie Larea or Sam Adikubi, um is the better fit, you know, to kind of fit that jigsaw Um depending on what your tactics are and how you want to line up. But I think if you're playing four in the back, that probably means that a Kubi starts. Um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Atiba get a good 16 minutes, and that's probably a good window for him. You know, uh, again, give uh, maybe even just a half for Vittoria on the turf. I don't think we need Vittoria playing too too long on our official surface. But the big thing I want to see is, um david Laren davies and buchanan all played together for a significant amount of time in both matches um i got thinking about it and i thought you know those guys haven't played together much so i looked and they have played 80 minutes together the four of them um ever in qualifying friendlies gold cup the whole nine yards um and it I would guess we'll see. It's very possible that you know one of the two forwards and or Buchanan doesn't necessarily start every single match of the World Cup, but they really might. I mean, um, those are really your four main attacking threats. I think it's pretty likely you're going to see all four playing the majority of the minutes in the World Cup, and they just haven't played together enough for me. Um, 45 of those minutes came in the home match against Honduras. It kicked off the octagonal. And they didn't look very good together. Um, That doesn't mean that was a chemistry thing. There was still lots of talk about how uh, Laren and David played together at that point. I think Tayshon was a little nervous in in a pretty big match, and he also got kicked a lot, which Mm -hmm. certainly doesn't help anything. They had David flipping sides a couple times. You know, it just didn't really come off in that first half. As anyone who remembers that match remembers, but um, you know, I think Canada's going to need to be really clinical and precise, uh, particularly in the first two matches, and particularly if they don't have a ton of the ball, which you know, I'm hopeful they'll get, you know, at least 40, 45% of possession against Croatia and Belgium, but they might not. That certainly is in the cards given the quality uh, certainly the quality in the midfield for both of those sides. So when they do get the ball, they need to be progressive and dynamic, and they need to kind of all be on the same page. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's important, uh, particularly in these two matches that those, those four players see time together and see how they look together, um, because they're going to need to, to, really be sharp together. I mean, the caveat there is a lot of those guys have three of them have played together a lot in some various combinations. So it's not like they're not familiar with each other, but having all four out there together, um, just make sure that no one's trying to do the same thing the other guys tried to do. Right. I mean, it's oversimplification, but it's, you know, it, it takes time to kind of get on the same page with each other. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to these two matches first and foremost, but, uh, you know, I think you start the starters, probably both matches pretty close. Um, and if that means Kay starts the second match, Steph Hutchinson, you know, that's fine. And if Vittoria doesn't end up going, then that might be something we see at the World Cup anyway. Um, Vittoria did start all three matches at the Gold Cup last summer, so I'm hopeful with a little bit of more time between matches, though it's not really much. I think it's three or four days between matches um, at the World Cup. is going to be taxed but I think he can hopefully start all three matches which is pretty big
0: yeah you know, I think I think they you know they they stand a few inches taller when Steven Vittoria is in there and they're just on average they're a few inches taller when Steven vittoria is in there because Steven Vittoria is a huge human being but um, I think there's an element to that for sure when they're, you know you're, you're in an unfamiliar space I think all 11 men all of 10 other men will want Steven Vittoria on the field as much as possible at the world cup. I think that's, that's pretty much a lock. So that's what I want to see. So there you go. Um, you know, it should be interesting, you know, late, uh, late kickoff because the game is in BC. So that's exciting and exciting for Vancouver fans. That uh, should be great. Lots, uh, maybe too much to watch uh, these days. with I uh, you know nations league, UEFA nations league and the African uh, uh, cup of nations qualifying, you know, Senegal was almost held I believe by Rwanda like to the la- to the death a very questionable penalty that Sadio Mane put in I watched that but uh what 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 uh, maybe what's one game or two games that uh, that you've watched the last couple of days that or last week I guess that you've been like that's awesome
1: uh i don't know um i'm i'm, I'm i've got the uh the Morocco South uh, Africa match teed up here for my lunch break. at work, so that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, watching the the the, the Netherlands um, Belgium match was was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Um, just but that's trusting. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I uh, people shouldn't overreact to that. They looked yeah. a little tired. Uh when De Bruyne and Hazard don't have the work rate going, you know, it's, it's, they're not the same team. But um, you know, correct to the Dutch, they played well. Um, I I watched France U21 against Serbia U21. I got a chance to watch um, a bit of uh, Stefan Mitrovic play for Serbia U21. It's obviously a player from Hamilton that may or may not be interested in playing for Canada. Um, my main takeaway there is the French under 21s are ridiculously good and <laughs> really entertaining. I mean, that's, you know, big shock there, but, watching those guys play together is is something and then they bring in a guy off the bench you've never even heard of and he's just killing them and i'm like who's this guy (laughs) it's just the talent that team has is oh it's just uh, it's incredible so that was really fun and you know what i the u.s morocco game was quite interesting um Mm. it kind of confirmed some things that i thought i felt about morocco and if I'm being honest, I'm really hoping Morocco doesn't fire their manager because I think um, I think they'd be better off if they did. So, uh, And he's been <laughs> fired two other times after qualifying a team for the World Cup. So we'll see what happens with, uh, with the manager of Morocco. But um, that was interesting. It was an interesting match. It was pretty open. It was pretty entertaining. Morocco didn't play terribly. They had chances. They just didn't finish them. But they certainly gave... Um, a lot of space to the Americans, and the Americans were sharp. They played a good played a good match.
0: Yeah, no question. It was supposed to be if you're not if you're not sort of following closely. It was supposed to be the USA plays Canada's, uh, you know, North African team, Middle Eastern team, etc., etc. in 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 uh, in Morocco. Canada's going to play Morocco at the World Cup, and then Canada was supposed to play Iran, which who, who's in uh, the USA's group. Uh, And sort of see how each other does And that would have been very interesting Just from a soccer perspective I totally understand why it was cancelled Geopolitically, not going to get into that But I totally think it would have been Really interesting to see how Canada would have done Against Iran, but we're never going to see it So there's no point in moaning what we can't see All right, beautiful, well uh, Gurley Well thank you so much for your time We'll be back on the For Many People's Strength podcast To recap the game and look forward to Honduras But until then, Gurley, thank you so much for your time
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.